Well, today we continue our journey through the Renewal Church Statement of Faith. We're in a series called The Core, talking about our core beliefs that are not negotiable. These are biblical, our theological truths. That is the line in the sand that we say we as a church believe these things from the Word of God, and we believe them with no apology. And we believe them because they are revealed from God's Word. And it's so important for us today in an age where there is so much relative truth, where you're okay and I'm okay in this pluralism that we live, for us to say, no, this is what we believe, and it is not our ideas, it's not made from man, it is revealed from the very mouth of God, and these are not negotiable Truths, And we believe that our faith is not empty. It is not trivial. Our faith has substance. And we have something to confess to a world that is truly desperate for Jesus. So today, as we're continuing in this series, we are going to be studying the Trinity. Now, I already know what some of you thought. Like, I, I already know. Some of you thought, really? Like a whole sermon. Like I know you preached long, Matthew, but still like a whole sermon on the Trinity. And some of you are thinking, oh boy, this is going to be so deep and theological or so boring. Some of you already thought that. Don't deny it. Know, I know you thought it. You know it. Or you're thinking, this, there is like, it's not relevant. You know, like I get it. You pastors and theologians ponder those things. But understanding the Trinity or how well I understand it or don't understand it doesn't actually impact my everyday life. Like, I got kids, and they're crazy. And I got bills to pay and yard to mow and life to live. And it's like, how in the world is talking about the Trinity going to actually impact how we live our day to day. Maybe you think of the Trinity like dessert. It's kind of like if you have a meal. I mean, you don't need the pie. I mean, you like the pie, but you don't, you don't need the pie, right? Like the pie is not the main course. It's okay if you don't. Like it's nice to have it, but you don't need dessert. So it's like it's nice to better understand God as being triune, but it's not like that's the main idea or the main course. That's kind of like an add-on to who God is. And most believers don't even ponder deeply the significance of this. And I think part of the problem with why some of us might think along these lines about the Trinity is I think our illustrations that we use the Trinity are not helpful. So have you ever heard anyone teach the Trinity is like an egg? Ever heard that? You haven't? Okay, so I'll tell you. God is like an egg. Like already that's not inspiring, but. <laughs> and you say there's a shell and the yolk and the white. And so there's three parts, one egg. So God's like a Trinity. Or then we say, oh, God's like a leaf, like a three-leaf clover, where three leaves, but it's one leaf, but just three sides, and three and one. <sighs> okay. Like when, 
I mean, I'm, I'm trying to not be rude because I'm sure some of you have taught that, like a Sunday school. Um, I'll do respect, but God is nothing like an egg or a leaf. Nothing. And trying to compare the infinite perfections and the majesty and the glory of our God and comparing him to a leaf or an egg is such a disrespect and it will not instill awe in your soul. It will not grip your soul to love Jesus, to treasure him, to sacrifice for him, to stand up for him when it's hard, to trust him when life is falling apart or when it's raining feces on you. Because we've all been there, right? And, and if we think that we can relegate God to a shamrock or an egg, I feel like, man, that's just not going to cause my heart to fall down in awe, in worship, and crave Jesus. See, the Trinity is not a mystery that we could never unravel. We can't, it, there is mystery, agreed, but it's not so much so that we could never hope to understand it. God has shed light from his word on what he is like. The Trinity is not just some like interesting theological oddity that we tip our hat to. The Trinity is not a problem that we need to try to solve. The Trinity is delight. And it's delight because it's the Lord. It's everything, it's who God is. The Trinity is the greatest treasure in existence because it's God. The Trinity is the source of our hope and our freedom and our joy, our purpose. You were made by the triune God and you were made to enjoy this triune God. And today we're going to see, it's always tricky when you do like an introduction because you can oversell. Be like, we're going to see all these things. And at the end you're like, yeah, we didn't really see that. Or yeah, I kind of saw that, but like not really. And so it's always tricky when you want to say, here's what we're going to see. But by God's grace, here is what I hope that you will see today. That you will see that God is loving because he is triune. That he is glorious because he is trinity. That he is beautiful and desirable and trustworthy and worthy of your worship because he is triune. We must rediscover the wonder of who God is and being a God who is triune. My greatest desire for this faith family would be that we would have a greater enjoyment of the Lord. That you would enjoy God. That's it. Because when you are treasuring God, when you're enjoying him, then that will lead you to be able to trust him even when it's hard. And the more treasuring and trusting of God that you do, it'll lead you to obeying him. No treasuring, no trusting, no obeying.
So it's all about enjoying who God is, seeing his beauty, tasting his goodness, knowing God. So we're not doing this study all summer on different topics theologically just to get more information. The point is to know God, to truly enjoy him, to enjoy his presence, and to see that we exist to glorify him as a trinity. The very last verse, 10 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians 13, 14 should be on the screen. I love how Apostle Paul ends this letter. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So he describes the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit that binds us be with us. So that's where we're going to begin this morning. Let me read to you from the renewal statement of faith. should also be here on the screen. Our belief on the Trinity. We believe that there is only one God who exists eternally as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each is fully God and equal in every divine perfection and accomplished distinct but harmonious roles in the great work of redemption. That is what we believe about the triune God. And as we dive in to better know who he is, let's begin with praying. Father, we need you. You have revealed yourself as our Father. And we who are earthly fathers know that we so miss the mark as dads. And some of us in this room have come from so much pain from the hand of our earthly fathers and disappointment. And and yet you are our Father. And you father us perfectly, completely. And you do not let us down. You know exactly when to be hard and when to be gentle. And it's always out of love. And so we adore you, Father. We worship you, Jesus. You are our king. You are our first love. You're our purpose, our hope, our redeemer, our sustainer. The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And Jesus, we worship you, God in the flesh. You are our everything. Spirit, we worship you. Spirit, you have brought us from death to life. You indwell us, you convict us of sin. You allow us to experience presence with you, God. And so, Spirit, we worship you and we thank you that you are in us and that you are at work and renewing us day by day. And so we worship you, Father and Son and Spirit, and we just ask for your blessing today that we would know you better and be convicted of our sin and spurred to just love you, trust you, and obey you. And we pray this in the name 
of our King Jesus. Amen. Just so that we're clear as we begin, the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. Like, I'm a full disclosure. You won't find that word in there. But what you will find is that the word Trinity is helpful because it helps us to better understand what God's word reveals about who he is. And so God has revealed that he is triune. So the word Trinity is just a helpful word. And so let me give you three truths. So if you're taking notes, three truths about God that are rooted in him being triune. And so three truths about God being rooted in being Father, Son, and Spirit. Number one, the Trinity reveals the personhood of God. And so the, the Trinity is revealing to us the personhood of God. Now, when you think about the word person, we usually think of a human being as being a person, which obviously is true. We are persons. But the reason why we're persons is because we reflect the personhood of God. So the Bible reveals God to be a person. Now, the Father and the Spirit do not have a human body. The Son does. Jesus is fully human, but also, of course, fully God. But when we're talking about God being a person, I'm not talking about the humanity of Christ. I'm talking about the fact that a person is someone that is self-aware, that is rational, and that has a distinct personality, which is why animals are not considered persons. I don't care what PETA says. I don't care what furries tell you. Animals are not persons. We are not higher evolved apes. We are made in the image of God. And so we are people because God is a person. So God has personhood. So what I mean by that is that God has a mind and God has emotions, and God has a will, and he has made us in his image as persons, reflecting his personhood with also having a mind and a will and emotions and being moral agents. We know right from wrong. And so personhood is what it means to be a made an image bearer of God who is a person. And so the Trinity means that there is one God, who exists as three distinct persons. So it's a tri-unity. And so you could say it this way. is God is one in essence and three in person. So one in essence, three in person. One God, three persons. And the Bible describes how all three members of the Trinity are indeed God. And so the Father is God. First, that's not true. Philippians chapter 1, verse 2 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it says, God our Father. There's lots of verses, but that's just one. Philippians 1, 2. Jesus is God. There's lots of places to show you that. With Thomas crying out, My God. And bowing before him and Jesus receiving worship many times in the Gospels. But I'll give you one text, Titus 2.13. He says, waiting for our blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is one of many texts that describe Jesus as God. The Holy Spirit is God. Let me give you one example. There's lots of them, but just one. Acts chapter 5, you have Peter who's having a conversation with Ananias. And he had been lying to Peter. But what he says is profound. Peter said to him, Ananias, why, have, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? And it says, not to Peter. It says, lie to the Holy Spirit. And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. All remained unsold. Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Listen, you have not lied to man, but to God. So if you want to know the context, read Acts 5. It's an awesome story. But the point that I want to make here is that this man Ananias was lying. He lies to Peter. And what does he say? He's like, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. He says, you have lied not to man, but you've lied to God. So he says, lying to the Spirit is lying to God because they're one and the same. The Spirit is God. And so there are three statements that are important. And if you're a note taker, these are like classic definitions. One is the Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct persons. So that's clear for us to make. Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct persons. Number two, each person is fully God. And number three, there is only one so they share in the same divine essence, existing as three persons. So you see that God is one God, one essence, and yet three distinct persons. And you see this at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. is one good place for us to see that, Matthew 3. And when Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You have the Father who is speaking, declaring that Jesus is his Son, and that he loves him and is pleased with him. You have Jesus who is in the water being baptized and the Holy Spirit that is descending and resting on the Son. And so you have the Father in heaven, you have the Son in the water, and the Spirit as a dove resting on Jesus. And so you see the Trinity right there at the baptism of Jesus where you have all three members that are fully and completely God, and yet they're not identical. They are separate, distinct persons, and yet they're all part of one God. And so you have unity and distinction. Let me show you an image that will help you better understand what this looks like. It should be here on the screen. Um, it's basically what you see is at the center, it's God, who God is. And so the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. 
and the Father is not the Holy Spirit. So the three members of the Trinity are separate. You, you should not confuse them with each other. And yet, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And so what you see here is a beautiful, glorious, to a degree, absolutely yes, filled with mystery, personhood of God. Three distinct persons, one God, sharing the exact same divine essence. So images like this one help us to avoid false teaching. So for example, every major religion and every minor cult, every single religion under the sun, all of them, deny that Jesus is God. They deny that he is one with the Father, that he is creator, that he is God. I mean, the Hindus say that Jesus was a Hindu guru. So they don't deny Jesus. The Muslims say that he was a prophet. They don't deny Jesus, but they deny that he is God, that he is one with the Father and with the Spirit. And so when we understand the Trinity, it helps us to understand that Jesus is God and he is worthy of our worship, the Holy Spirit also is part of the Trinity. He is not a force. It's not like that. It's not an it. He's a him. He's a person that you can relate to, you can know and talk to and enjoy. So the Spirit is a person that we're called to fellowship with. And so having a biblical understanding of the Trinity helps us to keep the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in their proper place as one Godhead, and yet what you have is three members that we can relate to and enjoy and worship. This helps us to avoid the heresy of modalism. You're like, well, what's that? Not that complicated. Mode is a key word there. That God appears in different modes. And so, so the teaching goes that in the Old Testament, he was revealed as God the Father. And then he changed the new mode into being God the Son. And currently, he's in the third mode, which is God the Holy Spirit. And so this is taught more than you might think. There are preachers, false preachers, that teach this modalism. And then we have bad illustrations like, well, God is like water. He can be gas or solid or ice. But the problem with the illustration of God being like water is that, that is modalism. It changes in different forms. Same water, different form. That is not the Trinity. God is all three at the exact same time, distinct and yet with unity. Three persons sharing the same God nature, the same divine essence. But here's the point, though. I'm saying the Trinity is not about avoiding heresy. That's not the main idea. The main point is not just to have better information. The point is to know the heart of God. To gain deeper enjoyment and awe about who he is. Because fundamentally about God, he's revealing himself as being father. That is not an abstract or ethereal thought. Just read the Old Testament from Genesis. 
Exodus, Deuteronomy, the Psalms, the prophets. If, if you're curious, do a word study. Just get a concordance and look up the word father in the Old Testament. You will see it over and over and over and over. It's so often where God reveals himself as a father who loves his sons and his daughters. The whole point of the Exodus was to liberate his sons so that they could worship him as father. Everything that God does is as father. He's a creator and the ruler, but he's as a father. He's life-giving. Let me read to you 1 John 4. It describes this so beautifully. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 9. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this love of God was made manifest. Hear this. God's love was made manifest, displayed among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Man, love is not something that God just does or has. God is love. It's his nature. It's who he is. God can't not love. He can't. He can't not do it. It's, it's who he is. Just like the enemy can't not lie. The enemy lies. He's always lying, and he can't stop himself from lying. God can't stop himself from loving. He is love. And he sent his son that they've enjoyed this love for eternity. I want you to think about something. If you love only yourself, is that love? Like by definition, if you love just you and no one else, are you a loving person? No, that's called selfish. That's self-centered, self-serving. That's not love. The God of Islam. I lived in Abu Dhabi for many years. I understand the Muslim faith really well. Lots of Muslim friends, years living there. Do you know that in Islam, classic Islam, there's like 99 names for God. And among these names are words like compassionate and merciful and loving and all of these different terms describing how God is so loving. Um, and yet, Muslims deny the existence of the Trinity. Muslims claim that there is only God, monotheists, which so are we, but they don't, they don't believe the Trinity. They deny the Son or the Spirit. And so you have Allah, God, who has lived from eternity past, loving who? Because before he created, it was only him. Who did he love? Himself. Which makes the God of Islam a self-centered God. You see, the God from the Bible, the one true God, what was he doing before he created the universe? Before he made you or me, what was God doing? Was it just him by himself, bored? Like, did God need you or me because he was lonely? No. God was enjoying fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, expressing love with each other. So for God to be a loving God is only possible if he is triune. 
God is not loving if there's no Trinity. He can't be. He can only be a loving God if he is a triune God who is expressing that love from eternity past within the three members of the Trinity. And so he has been expressing love and affection and esteem to each other between Father, Son, and Spirit Eternity passed long before he chose to create you or me. And so God is fundamentally a loving God. And you see this in John 17, 24. Jesus is praying, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Did you catch that? That Jesus is praying to the Father for his disciples, for you and me. And he's saying, Father, I, I desire this. This is what I want with all my heart. You can fill in your name that Matthew would see my glory, that you would know him. And Jesus' desire is that we be there where he is. He just wants you near him. And he says that he wants us to share in this love that the Father and the Son have shared from eternity past. Hey, can you just stop for a second and just ponder that? That the Father and the Son and the Spirit have been enjoying this eternal love for eternity, and they're inviting you into it. Man, if you ever had a season where you were really blowing it, This is food for your soul to know that whatever you're going through, however hard it may be, however how difficult life may be, that this is God's eternal purpose for you as he wants you to share in this eternal love that has been expressed in the Trinity for an eternity. It's revealing the personhood of God, who God is as a person, a God who loves but number two, the, the Trinity reveals the purpose of God. So it reveals the personhood of God, but also, number two, the purpose of God. So God's purpose in creation and in redemption are rooted in God being a triunity. So Father, Son, and Spirit are separate persons, but they're inseparable from each other. They always work together. And they're working in creation and in redemption. So first, briefly, the Trinity in creation. In Genesis 1 verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Spirit was hovering there at creation. The Father is speaking, and His Word goes forth into the dark and into the void and lifelessness, and then the Spirit hovering, and the, and the Father speaking, and then what happens? Life and light and beauty come into existence. 
In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says the Father breathed into Adam. And that word breathe is the same word for spirit. Literally, the spirit was present as he was breathing life through the spirit into Adam. And God the Son was also there at creation. How do I know? Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, or the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Is it a wonder that Jesus is called the word of God? Because God creates through his word, and now he creates, of course, Jesus was there, the Son was there at creation, and then we also see it in recreation. So the, the Trinity at work in redemption. Everything that you see in Genesis 1 and 2 in creation is also present in the recreation, the being made new through Christ. Think of the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is in the water being baptized. What is that a picture of? Him going to the cross of dying, being buried, and being resurrected. And then what is the Father doing? He is speaking because that's what the Father does to create. And what is Spirit doing? He is hovering over the Son. And so you have hovering in creation, and now you have the Spirit hovering over the waters in recreation. And so everything that you're seeing in the baptism is the same thing that you saw in Genesis 1 and 2 with creation. It's now being made new through Christ. He's, and so that's what we are. We're made new. We're experiencing God's renewal. And each member of the Trinity has a different role in redemption. And so the Father is the architect. The, the Father is his plan. He sent the Son. The Father and Son sent the Spirit. And so it's the Father's plan. He knows the time and the hour. And so it's the Father is the architect of redemption. The Son accomplishes redemption. It is the Son who died on the cross. The Father did not die on the cross. The Son died on the cross. Not the Spirit. It was Jesus who accomplished redemption as the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And then the Father and the Son sent the Spirit who then applies redemption. He regenerates us. He gives us life. He indwells us and grows us. And so you have the Father as the architect. The Son accomplishes and the Spirit applies redemption. They have their own role to play. But together what you have is the Spirit and the Father and the Son together in creation and in recreation. Is it a wonder that Jesus tells us the marching orders for the church, the Great Commission? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This should not surprise us because it's who God is. We worship a God of wonder, of majesty, of infinite perfection. And we're designed to have our minds blown away by everything that God is and to crave him, to be in awe of him. Everything that God does and who he is is rooted in being triune. And so his personhood and even his purpose is rooted in being a triune God. Last, number three, the people of God. And so the Trinity reveals the people of God. And so who we are as a people is rooted in who God is as Trinity. 
we're made to reflect God as triune. And so the Trinity impacts who we are as a church. Do you think that this church is the work of man? No. Absolutely not. I know too many of you. I know what you're going through and what you're striving against and how you're finding healing and transformation and overcoming and finding victory. That is not the work of man. It is the work of the Spirit for the love of our King. And we share one same Father, which makes us spiritual siblings. Why we use the language faith family so often around here. Because that's what we are. We're siblings. And so we love each other as brothers and sisters. And we're called to reflect the Trinity. Have you ever stopped to think that the Trinity is the only perfect community in existence? Because there's lots of communities that humans have, and yet they're all flawed. They're all broken. And yet the Trinity is a perfectly functioning community where the Father loves the Son, the Son submits to the Father, the Father and the Son sent the Spirit, the Spirit glorifies the Son, they all love each other, they all esteem each other, there's no rivalry, there's no competition, there's no envy, there is just delight and respect and love and unity and harmony, and this is what we are created to reflect as a church, the unity and the harmony that you see in the Trinity, enjoying and respecting and loving each other. And this has huge implications, not just for the church, but for your marriage. Like, if you want to see how this applies, man, this applies to your marriage big time. John 15, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And so the Son is the beloved of the Father. So the Father delights in the Son. And then the Son is sent from, by the Father to love the people of God, described as the bride of Christ. And so the church is now the beloved of the Son. And so the Father's love rolls down to the Son, and the Son then loves his bride. And then we, as husbands, are called to reflect that and to roll further down the Father's love to the Son for, through the church. Husbands, we're called to then roll down that love to our wives, and our wives are, are to be our beloved. You should pursue your wife. You should not make your wife earn your affections. Jesus does not make us earn his affections. We're called to sacrifice for our wives because that's what Jesus did for his bride, to put our wives first and to lavish our affection on them. And it's rooted in God being triune. That's that is the standard. And then we, by God's grace, reflect it. So as we kind of wrap up this morning, I'll ask you this question. Do you want to change? I mean, not really. Do you want your life 
to change. Are you tired of living the exact same way that you've been living your whole life? Or is maybe today the day where you say enough is enough? Do you desire to reflect who God is as we see in his word in the Trinity? Do you want to walk in victory? Do you want to walk in the light? I mean, like, for real, we can all just say that, but, like, really, do you actually want to walk in the light and to have a clear conscience, to look in the mirror and not feel shame? Do you want real and lasting hope? Do you want your life to actually be consistent with the Bible? Or do you want to keep making excuses and saying, well, I know it's not really consistent, but we all make mistakes, and so I'll get around to it at some point. And God understands. God, God, God will forgive me. Or are you done playing games? And you want to actually live consistently with what God's word has revealed. What you need is to encounter the Trinity, to encounter the Father and the Son and the Spirit, encounter the living God. That's what you need. You don't need more religion. What you need is to know God. Because when you see who God is and you know him and then your heart is deeply treasuring him, then that is when his Spirit will bring those changes and break those strongholds and break those chains and push the fear away and bring hope and change and delight in him.